0: strikeouts are there for everyone to see. Baseball also has statistical rigor. Its gurus have an immense data set at hand, almost all of it directly related to the performance of players in the game. Moreover, their data is highly relevant to the outcomes they're trying to predict. This may sound obvious, but as we'll see throughout this audiobook, the folks building WMDs routinely lack data for the behaviors they're most interested in. So they substitute stand-in data, or proxies, They draw statistical correlations between a person's zip code or language patterns and her potential to pay back a loan or handle a job. These correlations are discriminatory, and some of them are illegal. Baseball models, for the most part, don't use proxies because they use pertinent inputs like balls, strikes, and hits. Most crucially, that data is constantly pouring in, with new statistics from an average of 12 or 13 games arriving daily from April to October. Statisticians can compare the results of these games to the predictions of their models, and they can see where they were wrong. Maybe they predicted that a left-handed reliever would give up lots of hits to right-handed batters. And yet he mowed them down. If so, the stats team has to tweak their model and also carry out research on why they got it wrong. Did the pitcher's new screwball affect his statistics? Does he pitch better at night? Whatever they learn, they can feed back into the model, refining it. That's how trustworthy models operate they maintain a constant back and forth with whatever in the world they're trying to understand or predict. Conditions change, and so must the model. Now, you may look at the baseball model, with its thousands of changing variables, and wonder how we could even be comparing it to the model used to evaluate teachers in Washington, D.C. schools. In one of them, an entire sport is modeled in fastidious detail and updated continuously. The other, while cloaked in mystery, appears to lean heavily on a handful of test results from one year to the next is that really a model? The answer is yes. A model, after all, is nothing more than an abstract representation of some process, be it a baseball game, an oil company's supply chain, a foreign government's actions, or a movie theater's attendance. Whether it's running in a computer program or in our head, the model takes what we know and uses it to predict responses in various situations. All of us carry thousands of models in our head. They tell us what to expect, and they guide our decisions. Here's an informal model I use every day. As a mother of three, I cook the meals at home. My husband, bless his heart, cannot remember to put salt in the pasta water. Each night when I begin to cook a family meal, I internally and intuitively model everyone's appetite. I know that one of my sons loves chicken but hates hamburgers, while another will eat only the pasta with extra grated Parmesan cheese. But I also have to take into account that people's appetites vary from day to day, so a change can catch my model by surprise. There's some unavoidable uncertainty involved. The input to my internal cooking model is the information I have about my family, the ingredients I have on hand, or I know are available, and my own energy, time, and ambition. The output is how and what I decide to cook. I evaluate the success of a meal by how satisfied my family seems, at the end of it, how much they've eaten, and how healthy the food was. Seeing how well it is received and how much of it is enjoyed allows me to update my model for the next time I cook. The updates and adjustments make it what statisticians call a dynamic model. Over the years, I've gotten pretty good at making meals for my family, I'm proud to say. But what if my husband and I go away for a week, and I want to explain my system to my mom so she can fill in for me? Or what if my friend who has kids wants to know my methods? That's when I'd start to formalize my model, making it much more systematic and, in some sense, mathematical. And if I were feeling ambitious, I might put it into a computer program. Ideally, the program would include all of the available food options, their nutritional value and cost, and a complete database of my family's taste, each individual's preferences and aversions. It would be hard, though, to sit down and summon all that information off the top of my head. I've got loads of memories of people grabbing seconds of asparagus or avoiding the string beans but they're all mixed up and hard to formalize in a comprehensive list. The better solution would be to train the model over time, entering data every day on what I bought and cooked and noting the responses of each family member. I would also include parameters or constraints. I might limit the fruits and vegetables to what's in season and dole out a certain amount of Pop-Tarts, but only enough to forestall an open rebellion. I also would add a number of rules. This one likes meat, this one likes bread and pasta, This one drinks lots of milk and insists on spreading Nutella on everything in sight. If I made this work a major priority, over many months I might come up with a very good model. I would have turned the food management I keep in my head, my informal internal model,